Chinese. Like when I traveled, I didn't have any problem when I went to China with people from who who are of the Han descent. I didn't have any problems in South Africa. Okay, I didn't have any problems in Korea and in Japan and even in Israel. I didn't have any pro. I had problems with the people that were on the trip with me. I bought the ugly American with me. That's where that's therein lies. My problem is among the people that I live in the same country with. And so how do we fix that? I'm not saying that that I hate you. I don't hate you. I want to have a healing conversation with you. And I realize that there's so many layers to this, that that conversation has to continue. It can't, it can't die. It can't stagnate. It has to continue. It has, we have to do things to become part of each other's lives. So take my word cause it's all I got. Save the clothes on my back and the beat of my heart. I'm going home. I'm going home. Okay, everybody, this normally won't happen doing an intro before a recording, but this is the first time I've ever posted a recorded conversation to the interwebs, so I thought I might say a couple of things. Firstly, I, during the Charlottesville space, talked to so many people who were surprised that something like that would happen, and that surprised me. And so I've been very curious since then and been asking people I know who went through the 60s what that was like, uh, people who are currently experiencing in the 2000s just blatant racist um, crap and trying to capture their story, trying to shine a bright spotlight on it. I grew up in a small rural town in Northwest Ohio and this person, June Price, who I speak to today was uh, the only black teacher for a good chunk of years in her school district and just has a lot of stories. A couple of things I just want to highlight. Firstly, she has a book that she's written, and she's just starting to get it out there. And so please, please go buy her book. Even if you don't listen to anything else on this recording, go do that. It is so accessible. It was disturbing in a good way. I needed to be disturbed and woken up a bit. And June, you did that amazingly well. Uh, So her website, um, www pricelessministries.wixsite.com has a way for you to purchase. You can also get a hold of me if you want the book, and I'll figure out a way to, to, to be the middleman there. Jonathan Torrance, that, uh, that was the song that just played, and he is amazing. Him and his wife, Julie, have a band called The Native Heart. Check them out on the Instagrams. They, um, that was his song, Going Home, off of the album of Sinners and Saints. It is one of the albums that I've listened to the most in the last month, so go check that out. And then if you hear this before November 20th of 2017, June and I are going to be sitting down at Beer and Bible Night at Bar's Public House in Maumee, 7 p.m. Come out, grab a drink, grab some great food. We are going to have a conversation, again, about her story and different parts of it. And then what do we do? What do we do? What action should we take? We're going to sit down and and figure that out or at least have another conversation about it. So hopefully getting us one step closer. Okay, uh, enjoy. All right, so I'm sitting here with my friend June. 
Hi, June. Hi, June. <laughs> um, June has an amazing story and just so many things that we can talk about. And I want to introduce you. Um, I grew up in a town. It's my town, my hometown. And I have come to see that that my hometown has some darkness, some I don't know what the right word is, right? Uh, something in it that needs to have a giant light pointed at it. And and I want to point that light. <laughs> and I think your story does that better than anything. You've written a book called My June's Cottage. Yeah. And it was so good. I read it so fast. Mm-hmm. And um, two things happened for me is I, I, I got disturbed. And that's good because when there's a disruption, right, that's yeah. when things change and yeah. move. Um and then I just had to start talking about it and, and sharing. I, I think it's great. I, um, I wrote the book over a 10-year span. Whoa. First of all. And really, it's a segment of the book. I have a manuscript, and from the manuscript, <clears throat> I chose a greater segment of my experience to share to the world, but not all of it. Yeah. Ooh. And the 10 year period was painful because I was in the process of healing. So I could write a little bit and then I'd have to put it away and that could go back to it, put it away. And then eventually I was at a point where I could start to tell the story. Yeah. So, and the 10-year period of healing. Ooh. And I'll just tell you, I, I, I had post-traumatic syndrome. Yes. That I had been through a war zone, like I had been uh, in any war that anybody has ever been in. And uh, the thing about it is that nobody recognized it. Yeah. That I was uh, seemingly <sighs> healing, mm, God was faithful. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that I wasn't, it wasn't a progressive work, but there were setbacks. And even as I started to write, I had to be careful because I was opening old wounds. Yeah. And so the story is, is interesting enough. Um, I didn't expect to receive the type of education that I got in this little town. But it was good for me. Yeah. Change. Can I say that? Oh, Can yeah. I say it was bad and good at the bad same time? Bad and good, yes. Sorry about these headphones. It's all right. <laughs> I'm not sure it's the not best working. way to do it. If, uh, okay. Is that better? That's better. Okay. Um, so. Yeah. What, um, okay. So you were in a town. Yes. For 10 years? 12 years? 12 years. 12 years. 12 years. PTSD. <laughs> That's an interesting thing. I, um. And there's been a few friends who've started to name uh, PTSD who it throws other people because they just think that that's a literal, you have to go to war to experience that. Right. Um, and, but it's a, you're in stress every day. Every day. It, it becomes your norm. Right. Post-traumatic stress. Right. Syndrome, like, and you don't feel it. You don't feel the weight of it until you come out of the environment. I mean, you, you're, you're under the weight all the time. So imagine being under a weight 
for 12 years. And then when you come out of it, you know, um, and I'll just share to you the day that I walked out of the classroom, 2000, March 2nd, 2006, I came to your house. No way. I didn't even go home. I came, I came to my friend's house. So I came <laughs> to sit with your mom. Yeah. And I had walked out of my career, out of the classroom, out of my vocation, out of my income, out of difficulty and strain and stress, uh, all at the same time. All at the same time. And so literally that couple of weeks afterwards, I had physical ailment. I, I couldn't like, uh, I remember one day coming to your mommy again, <laughs> uh, we were going to get together and I came and I couldn't walk. I barely could walk because of the strain of the stress on my body. Yeah. And she prayed for me yeah. and I got better. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, those things did happen. You know, amazingly, I went to your house anyhow. So, okay, I love this. So you've just set up, there was a day that you walked out of a situation. Right. How'd you get into this situation? I, um, I applied for a job. <laughs> <laughs> as simple as that. I applied for a job. I was getting married. I was in living in Indianapolis. I had uh, what you would call a very plush teaching job, or so I thought. Uh, everything at my fingertips, yep. good experience in the classroom, good experience among the staff, uh, a wonderful teaching experience. Mm. And then I needed to relocate because I was, and it brought me to the Toledo area. And so I put my fillers out and... Um, Coming from Cleveland? No. Coming from Indy, from Indy. Okay. So I was born in Cleveland. All right. Taught six years after I got out of the College of Worcester or graduated from college, and then uh, went to Indianapolis, having put my fillers out, and got a job, and that's the plush teaching okay. job. So you know, here here I started in middle school, and that that was interesting. <laughs> Probably the worst junior high school in Cleveland, Ohio. Wow. Um, maybe it's couple of years after DSEG. Okay. So literally in Cleveland, what they did is that they separated half and half. So they turned the system upside down. So it would have to be half teachers, uh, African-American or people of color and white teachers. So I didn't realize that was on the teaching end as well. So as students, but then they're also the teaching the leadership side of things. Right. Okay. So that makes sense. I so they did both. Yeah. It. Yeah. And so what happened was is that most white parents <laughs> took their kids out. Yeah. And and so it kind of gutted the system and I we I ended up teaching really at a, a predominantly black school even though it was on the west side which is the white side of Cleveland. <laughs> uh, they bust them over but it was the same dynamic. And so, but the staff was, had to be, um, they could chart that, you know. So, um, so the, and the, when I say worse, it was just, we had a riot every year. It was yeah. just a, a, um, a very difficult um, 
dynamic and um but around what year is that uh i started teaching graduated in 82 okay so we're this is 83 to maybe 88 all right yeah then to indy right and then, lost my brother um ooh. my oldest brother uh to murder in oh. cleveland in 89 and cleveland didn't hold uh, the attraction any longer and so I put my fellows out, moved to Indy, and taught there. Okay. And so there I had the the best of both worlds because it actually was a, a multicultural school. So it was a little bit of everybody yeah. in the staff and in the student body. So that was a delight. And then I moved from junior high school to high school, <laughs> <laughs> and believe it, uh, believe me, that was the that was a step up. Okay. Uh, in terms of um, just the maturity level mm. period of your students, and so I had a good experience in in Indy. And then you came to Toledo. Again, then I came to Toledo, but before I left Indy, I discovered there was something in the water. What do you mean? That. Even though it was multicultural, even though we had every um, provision, I guess, in education and uh, open doors to all kinds of um, uh, what you would want in uh, educating a student body opportunities, um, trips, et cetera, et cetera. All these things were at our fingertips. But I discovered that just in the English department alone, that there was no support for diversity in literature. And so the books I was teaching out of were written really by all white men right and i i i guess i started paying attention <laughs> it's not that i didn't know that or have some kind of level of information about that it's just that oh my goodness this is all we're producing yeah um and you know huck finn <laughs> how do you feel about huck finn oh <laughs> <laughs> come on now um yeah. That's a whole nother ball yeah, game. Yeah. That's another discussion, Harry. We need to leave Huck Finn alone. <laughs> okay. Mark Twain was Mark Twain, wrote in his era. Yeah. Hannibal, Missouri in the 1840s was a wonderful place for a white boy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yes. Okay. But not for Tom. Yeah. Okay. So Yep. So then I then I put my fillers out because I was getting married and I was so excited. I was gonna finally marry my Eric. And so my attention and my mind was on just that. And so I put my fillers out, got an interview, came to town, went on the interview, met with the superintendent. We had a good exchange, great conversation. I was like, okay, this is it. Okay. Then he, uh, they called me back for a second interview. And I went to uh, the town. I met the principal and the assistant principal. Then I met with 
thought this was a little odd at the time, but I met with maybe seven teachers in addition to having met with the superintendent, in addition to meeting with the principal, assistant principal. So, so I didn't, so by design, I could feel some kind of way. This feels <laughs> off. Right? Uh, yeah, this yeah. feels off, but I um, still, at this point, I just needed a job. So I went on the interview. I mean, so we were in a room kind of like this one with seats around the table, and they all sat down, and we all started having conversations. They asked me questions. I answered questions. But toward the end of the, I guess the end of the interviewing process, I remembered there were some questions I needed to ask. And I asked one question. And the question I asked was, what does this school district have to offer a a relatively young African-American teacher? What does it have to offer? Yeah. I know what I I have to offer, uh, but what does it collectively have to offer me? Because it is reciprocal. Reciprocal. Right. And right. we're in this uh, together. We're in this dynamic together. So I think I, I kind of pricked a nerve or <laughs> I kind of upset the cart or... Just with that question. Just with that question. Because the first response was, we don't have a problem here. <laughs> My friend Tyler... Uh, I went over to his house last Christmas mm-hmm. around that time. I walk in the house and it's like the smell of uh, about 13 different candles that have been lit simultaneously. Okay. But underneath of it, okay, I smell something dead. <laughs> and so there's a mouse that had crawled into his furnace vent and died. Wow. And so now... Uh, we always talk about whenever we walk into a situation that says there's lots of, oh, we don't have a pro. Where's the dead mouse, right? And there's something. Uh-huh. That's so good. <laughs> Where is uh, the dead mouse? So yeah. this is what you're saying. So the question indicated yeah. that there was maybe. No uh, problem here. Uh, no problem here. No problem here. So it, But it indicated to me that it might not just be a mouse. Yeah. It might be a rat or a raccoon or something, <laughs> something that is. Um, That's a strange answer to a question. What do you have to offer? We yeah. have no problem here. We have no problem here. So mm-hmm. this is this is a thing I find. Whenever you bring up race, that immediately there is some kind of disclaimer that comes forward. Uh, so that we don't uh, journey down that avenue. Yeah. So we want to stop it at the impact, you know, at the at the head, and so we don't have a problem here. Well, I, that's not what I asked. Yep. I asked, what did this wonderful environment that you all work in have to offer me? Yeah. And I just. I, I just identified myself. And I think identity is a big thing. You know, uh, and so as a free woman, <laughs> I thought I could say with my whole self, African-American teacher. Should be able to. Right. 
And, and you know, it's, it, it takes me to a, a piece of literature um, that I included in the book by Langston Hughes. And it's amazing because even though Langston Hughes is the Harlem Renaissance and it precedes me, even though I was born in 1960, it precedes, the lit literature precedes me. I came into it as a young student, seventh grade, and it's followed me. Yeah. So it, identity is still an issue. Yeah. You know, so I just simply made a statement as a free woman with no, nothing attached. And that was my uh, the response to it, that we don't have a problem here. Um, but identity is so cool. <laughs> it's a cool conversation to have. And uh, most people don't want to identify themselves. I, uh, okay, uh, what do you mean by that? Give me, do you have an example? Maybe, yeah, like, I trained on... Uh, a segment by that's called right. The Color of Fear. The Color of Fear. And in that, it was a group of men from different cultures and races who had to spend a weekend together and had an honest conversation about race. And inside of that, they started to talk about identity. And <laughs> one of the gentlemen, African-American gentlemen, said you all just need to get ethnic. You know, uh, if you're Italian, say you're Italian. If you're Irish, say you're Irish. You know, I'm African and I'm American, and, I, and, and it's sad why the two or those are brought together, but uh, it's who I am. Yeah. And so Langston does a thing. He says, I too sing America. I too sing America. Yeah, yeah. I too sing America. I am the darker brother. They send me to eat in the kitchen when company comes. But I laugh, eat well, and grow strong. Tomorrow, I'll be at the table when company comes. And no one will dare say to me, eat in the kitchen then. Besides, they'll see how beautiful I am and be ashamed. I, too, am America. So, you know, he, Langston nailed it. So I guess that's why it follows me because there's still, there's still not a, a reckoning or an identification of my beauty, of, of my people group's contributions, of their genius. Their inventions, the theft that has occurred <laughs> across the board, A through Z, for our genius in music, our genius in art, our genius in science, our genius in inventions, all of that has is somehow not recognized. It's not taught. It's not part of the history gambit. It's not um, included. Yeah. So he, that's why I believe he had to say, I too. Sing, yeah. And I, not only do I, I too, I sing it. You know, I'm singing it because I helped build it. I laid the, I laid the, found, my people laid the foundation. 
we put the bricks in. We put the mortar in. We we the fields. Yeah, we yeah. we we made it possible. Right. And so just say thank you. That would be nice <laughs> if if it were just an acknowledgement and um more than a kudos to you, but <laughs> you know, like thank you very much for giving us all of this. Right. But a recon a recognizing of of just the wealth of of the people. And then not this denigration of who we are. Yeah. To nothing or to something that's subhuman. Uh it's 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 ridiculous. I mean, and I love, you know, I love the Lord so much because diversity is his idea. And so you got to reckon with, as a Christian, you have to reckon with why would God do it like this? Why would he make us all so different and all so much the same? (laughs) And um, why would he do it like that? So as a Christian... We're all made in his image. So how in the world can I justify racism? Mm. How can I look at another creation of God and say, what well, you know what? You're not worth it. No, no value attached. Um, when he says out of one blood where all nations form how do you how do you interpret that people of god i mean come on now let's have a little discussion around that you know how do you interpret that what do you think god meant uh, about that um out of one blood so there is no there is no that negates every kind of defense you have against any people so resist that urge when race comes up to go, yeah, but I'm not. Yes. Yes, because you it's in the fiber of America. Yes, you are yeah. in some kind of way. So, some kind of way because you've been brought up in this soil, in this air, in this atmosphere. It's a part of your makeup, whether you um, are conscious of it or not. Yeah. I... I've been trying to look, right? I've been trying to see. Right. And, and it's hard because I, you know, I grew up in a in a pretty white, pretty just privileged space, right? Right. And it's really hard to look and to actually know what to look for. And so recently, um, you know, in the last couple of years, uh, A, sad that it's only been the last couple of years that a systemic racism has like oh i'm learning about this thing now right and so you know where i work or been out there you're out there last night at the at the chicken coop and i was out on my way there one day and um i'm asking myself where where is the racism in this community because chances are right it's here i love my community but chances are (laughs) right (laughs) And so I start driving and it was so right in front of me, like I couldn't see it. I just suddenly I look out my window and mm-hmm. I see a cornfield mm-hmm. and I went, oh my gosh, Right. this is, this is it. Like this is where, how hard I have to look. Some farmer 
was able to buy that land a couple of hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. And a black farmer was not allowed to buy that land a right. couple of hundred years ago. And now he's passed that to his kids and they passed it to their kids and they passed it to their kids. Our agricultural system right. is still... Yeah. I'm, I just want to see. I want to look at that stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know what to do about it. But you don't have to leave the country to see um, the problem. If you just venture a little bit, there is like when I was growing up. So I'm born in 1960. Okay. So a civil rights movement is um, then very much at its beginning of, of, of momentum. Hasn't reached, we haven't gotten to 64 yet. And the passing of, you know, the Civil Rights Act, uh, we haven't uh, moved forward to leaders in the black community emerging. But Malcolm is on his way and and therefore starting to speak. And so is uh, Martin. And so are others across the Fannie Lou Hamer, there's all kinds of people who had a voice. Fannie Lou Hamer, you said? Yeah, okay. there are all kinds of um, spokespeople uh, of the movement, if you will. And, uh, and I don't want to say the civil rights began in the 60s, but it, 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 because it didn't, it started long before then. But it had reached a peak of no more. Yeah. It's got to stop. Right. And so, and then it went further. And then students got a hold of it. Young people got a hold of it. And, uh, you know, there was the nonviolence movement. And then there was enough is enough is enough. Yeah. And so I was coming. I was like... In the sixth grade, <laughs> you know, uh, in the 60s. And wow. my goodness. Growing up in what I didn't even understand. So I'm going, we're going to visit my grandparents down south. And there are no public accommodations. But as a child, I'm like, oh, the food that they packed, we're just going to have a picnic. I had no concept that we couldn't go into a restaurant. Wow. I had no concept that there were, there were no hotels that we could stop at. So we were sleeping in the car on the side of the road. Okay. Or uh, they're opening both for the car doors. I don't know if you want to leave this in there, but you know, <laughs> you're opening both of the car doors. So Pete, so we could use the restroom right. in between. So no one could you see. Can go in. So, um, so, and that was in my lifetime. So you can't say racism is gone. No. <laughs> if in my lifetime, that's where it began. And then it ebbed and flowed and the, the argument, you know, Against, against 
DSEG busing and all the things that we're trying to, it really was just a, a try to bring us together, try to give a people that had been deprived, had been denied, had been downrated and downgraded. the opportunity, the resources that they had been denied for no reason. Yeah. And yet we're a part of America. I'm t I too sing America. Yeah. I, I did the work, but I'm not worthy of the status. Yep. So anyhow, so you come, you come through all of that, go through high school, still in uh, a segregated deal, but you didn't feel it. Because I, I had a good time as a child. I mean, I'm in a all, I'm in a, I'm like you. I'm in a comfortable environment. I'm with my people. I don't see anything wrong with that. I can walk to school. I can, I'm not bust. I can walk around the corner to my elementary school. I can walk down the street to my junior high school. I can walk across a little further to the high school. <laughs> Uh, but that was part of the growth process. Yeah. You know, around the corner was good for elementary. Down the street was good for <laughs> junior high. A little further was good for high school, you know. And then I'm in, uh, I go to Glenville High School. I'm a tar blooder. And uh, the nostalgia. Well, that's the, like the. <laughs> a tar you know, like, Yes. It's, <laughs> our colors were uh, red and black. Okay. Uh, Steve Harvey is a tar blooder. He okay. was like a couple of years ahead of me. Uh, and um, and it was just, uh, you know, like the Panthers or the Tigers yeah, or yeah. whatever. We were the tar blooders. The tar blooders. And it's so creative because it was, it was a robot. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it was a robot. So yeah. our uh, mascot was a robot. And so, so, um, such a good environment. I had African-American teachers pouring into me mm. with no reserve, with, with total abandonment, wow. wanting the best for me, you know, and historical black colleges have the same. That's why... But you got to realize why they're historical black colleges, because we were denied that access. Yep. So th we had to create our own. Yeah. And so I'm not a product of one of those colleges. Mm, I'm grateful for my education. Even, you know, I went to right. a liberal arts school in Ohio. Ohio. <laughs> I'm a Buckeye. So... <laughs> All of that was good. And then the culture shock of going to school. Some, they don't make that cut. They don't, okay. that transition from high school to college, they don't, you know, they might make the first three months and it's over with. Or they get lost in the sauce in terms of college. And, and going to the College of Worcester was definitely a culture shock. But it was, again, now I'm in, I've crossed the culture line. So, first of all, here I am. I go around the corner to the elementary school that had a cultural heritage room. So, my foundation is really good. Yeah. <laughs> I go down the street to the junior high school. I go across 
the way to the high school and then I got cross culture to go to college. Um, so steady education, a progression of sorts. So I get to 82 when I graduate in four years, bless God. <laughs> <laughs> and I start and I, I start teaching because I was an English major, got a certificate to teach and I got a job in Cleveland. So I got a uh, job in my hometown mm. and then were, was brought into the discourse of desegregation. Okay. So I still learned how to do it, you know, how to just give to everybody. That's what you're supposed to do, right? Right. You're supposed to give to everybody. <laughs> you're not supposed to withhold for, for any reason from anybody. These are babies. This is a captive audience. You just uh, pour out as much as you can to help them progress, to grow, to, to learn, whatever. I don't know. Then moving to Indy, the same thing. But like I said, there's something in the water still. There's still, we're still reading just uh, white men's stories. Yep. Man. And that's the problem. I, I think I, I address it in the book, too. I said, you know, it's whitewashed. Our history is whitewashed. What does that mean? It sounds bad. <laughs> <laughs> but what, what happens is that other people tell my story. I need to tell my own story. The reason why we have Holocaust remembrance days and and whatever is because those survivors told their own story. They recorded those stories. And so that's why I had to write My June's Cottage. There's a, an experience I had that I needed to explain to the world. And it may be somebody that finds part of their story in my story. And that they can, they can get some help like I got some help. Uh, or they can recognize there's a thing that's going on that I've not been conscious of. I've not uh, tapped into. I don't know. That I need to. Yeah. I need to stop acting like it doesn't exist. Mm. You know, what is that? How, how can you live in the U United States of America and not know we have a race issue? I don't, I, I, I'm, I'm flabbergasted <laughs> yes. that you could think that it's all over. Oh, that happened way back when. And you know what, what was really telling for me when I taught in um, this little town that my students thought that any discussion of race was about slavery. Mm. So their context took them all the way back to whatever they thought about slavery because they didn't really know the real deal about slavery. Uh, <laughs> um, so they didn't have any knowledge of Jim Crow, knowledge of uh, separate but equal, knowledge of what it took to bring us to even to a modicum of, I can't even say equality because that still hasn't happened. I still have to fight. So even if I go to school and I make the grade, it's still by certain parts of this country say that somebody gave me something. They didn't give me anything. I had to do that. Fight I had it. to go to class and yeah. 
and do everything that I needed to do. Nobody handed me a degree. Right. <laughs> you did the work. I did the work. Yeah. Um, so, so I don't know. It brings me to my June's cottage. So I come, I get married. I, I come to this school district. I find out that I'm the only African-American in an entire school district. Now, it was years later that I found out I was the only one in the entire county. Whoa. So there may be some people of color now, very few, uh, if they are. Um, but then it was just me. And so talking about shock. Yeah. Because I thought that was over. I didn't think there were any places, and maybe that's my naivety. I didn't think there were any places in, uh, anymore that there were no African Americans, there were no Asians, there were, you know. Yes. At the time when I first started, there were no Latinos, there were no uh, people from Mexico, <laughs> people from. Anyhow, so I was in shock to say the least. So I, I, I started and I was like, wow. Cause you know, I, I never thought about investigating the place. I never, I never thought about maybe I should do the research on the place I'm going to work at. I was just happy that I was getting married and I had a job. blended family. You know, I was, I was an instant mommy. Eric had uh, custodial care of his two oldest, Austin Channing, who is, uh, a girl was seven. Eric Jr. hadn't even started school yet, was four. And then we had Andrea. So I have this wonderful family and we get married. So I start in, in this school district in January on Martin Luther King Day. <laughs> this is just, it's just. So this is day one. That's day one. Okay. And then in June, I was going to get married. So I knew that God was just going to move me. I said, this is, this is straight up hell, guys. I know. <laughs> I'm <laughs> I all know, alone here. I know I'm all alone here. And this is whatever this was about. If this was just a June mistake, you know, yes, of not doing headphones. what I needed to do. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. If you want, you can try and just take them off and then... If not... Okay, no. I like this. Yeah, I, like I like it too. Of not doing what I needed to do. I know this is... Okay, thank you for the lesson. Yeah. Thank you for the information. And now we're going somewhere else. Right, right. Um, and it just didn't happen that way. And so, I mean, the first three, um, five months. So that's January to, to May four months or whatever. I got the Confederate flag in that time. Mm. I got... Well, what do you uh, mean you got the Confederate flag? Uh, somebody in uh, the room I was in... Let me say. Actually, rooms. Before we go there, day one. What was day one like? You just said it was on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. It was Martin Luther King Day. <laughs> Which I think is a national holiday. It is a national <laughs> holiday, but not in this er not in this place. Wow. 
that they had not recognized it as a national holiday, or maybe they had, but their response to that was a half day. Okay. So kids were in the building when I went to, when I thought it would be empty, it wasn't. And they were in the building doing work or whatever, and they had a half day that day. And I met a, my, I met the teacher that I was replacing. So there were all kinds of red flags, but I now had the job. Right. You're in it. I'm in it. And I'm in this different program, I guess. They had gotten a grant. They were doing a new way of educating. It was great. It was called like, you know, technology based and it could work. It was beautiful. Wow. But like anything else, it can be poisoned. And it was. And it, it fell by the wayside after a couple of years. Oh. But in the initial stages, I was still in the learning curve because I'm now I'm, I'm a traditional teacher and I'm used to traditional environments. And now I'm in something that's innovative and I got to play catch up with that. But Meanwhile, back at the ranch, I got all this other stuff going on. I hear the N-word in the hallway. Day one? Day one. Day one. Day two? Day two. <laughs> mm. We don't have to go into day Well, one. you know, in the first couple of weeks, I had an incident where... A couple of girls came to the door and uh, they were like, oh, look at this black bitch. Wow. And I was in disbelief. You know what? You know, uh, usually if you get cursed out as a teacher, there's some kind of exchange you were having <laughs> yes. with the person or whatever. And, and then they say, yeah. da, da, da. But, and I stood up at my desk and I was like, excuse me. You know, my name is Miss Hales. I wasn't married yet. And then they just left the doorway as I started to approach it. So, oh, my God. So when I went home, I was like, Eric, you can't believe what happened to me today. You got la 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 la. We're going to have to do something. Maybe we need to make some more decisions or whatever. But I have every right to be on this job like anyone else without this type of thing going on. Yeah. But who do I talk to? So I try to talk to the principal. They're like, you know, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> yeah, probably you that know? kids are being kids. Yeah, kids are being kids. And, uh, what do they you say, say to that? Boys are being boys. All this. Kind of, I've, I've heard all of that. Oh, these are good boys. Or these are good Ooh. girls. Or these are good students. And, um, but they have this thing because they are brought up in this environment and their first response to something different is negative. Yeah. So whether, and, and, and there's so little exchange culturally. So what they're the, what, what you perceive that they may be getting is what they see on TV or what they hear at home or, and all of that's negative. And so when I started meeting my fellow comrades, teachers, and staff, support staff, I had one, one lady, she was a support staff. 
there became a friend. She said, you know, June, I never, I haven't had any contact with any um, black people since 1965. What? This is 1995. What? 1965. So everything that's happening to me is, is taking my words away. Yeah. Because I don't have a place now. I don't have a place to put it because here I am 33 years old or 34 or whatever I was at the time. And I had never been called the N word to my face by a white person. Yeah. Okay. So that whole discussion about using the word inside the culture, that's a different thing. So that has nothing to do with what right. <laughs> when a white person calls it's me an N word It's right. not the same. It is 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 at the opposite ends of the spectrum. So we won't even that's a whole nother teaching. But but I had never experienced that. And so you're talking I was getting I was being shocked every day. You might have you might as well have uh, taken out a taser. <laughs> Just kind of breath taken away. Uh, yeah. Punch in the gut. Right. And I remember having uh, um, a black professor was in the building because he had some student teachers and he saw me, surprised to see me. And so he walks into my room. He said, you don't even know where you are, do you? <laughs> and I said, I think I'm getting a pretty good idea where I'm at. And... So our exchange was, he, he almost told me to run for the hills. Mm, I didn't, though. Uh, you mentioned Confederate flag, and you said you got a Confederate flag. Yeah. What? Paint that picture. Okay. Let me talk about spaces. Is, is this the Confederate flag? Yeah, that's the actual Confederate flag right here. Dang. This is what I got. And it was just laid across my desk. Okay. Okay. So um, let me first talk about power and places and spaces in education. Okay. So your classroom for a teacher, really it is the teacher's domain. Okay. Or should be. Should be. Not that it doesn't have uh, component parts and moving pieces. My room is my room. Makes sense. Okay. Yeah. A little ownership because there's responsibility. So there's a little ownership. (laughs) And so in this environment, however, if I closed my door, it was looked upon as an infringement on those that existed in the environment. So it cut off uh, their privilege. And if I locked my door, (laughs) if I locked my door, like on my breaks, because I need a moment, then somebody, and somebody tried my door, the nastiness that came out of people's mouths at my locked door. You would think, what's the, you can knock on the door. I'll open the door. You know, we can talk. uh, But right now this is a time for me. 
maybe, you know, in education for teachers, uh, maybe we should talk about teacher rights. <laughs> uh, teachers do have rights. Yeah. It's not all about the students. It's not all about the administrators. It's not all about the community. It's teachers are individuals and they have rights. And I had that right. But in this environment, my locked door got me more static wow. than you could ever imagine. So the first room I had, listen to this, the first room I had, everybody knew a secret about my room except me, that you could jimmy my door and get in. I didn't know that. Everybody else knew that. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know that until I'm sitting in the room and I have the lights off and I'm just kind of convalescing on my lunch break. And students come in the room. Through the locked door. Yeah, because they, they've learned how to get in. And they were abruptly met with my <laughs> resistance. Uh, <laughs> which me. they, excuse me, why are you, what do you right. need? Uh, right. da, 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 why are you coming into this room? So I found out that my door was this d- default thing. Now, they broke into my room. But it really wasn't a break-in because they knew how to get in. So over the weekend, one of the, one of my initial states state you know, um, uh, incidences is that during the weekend, some people, some students, they perceived got into the high school, came into my room, and tore it up. Whoa! Left a little swastika for me on the board. Mm. Nobody else's room got got broken into because everybody else had a locked door that couldn't be jimmied. But mine was a little different. So, yeah. So therein therein lies a rub right there. Right. (laughs) And so when I finally got doors that could lock, still think, still, you know, it's like, why isn't your door open? Open your door. Have your door open for me. Give me access. 24 7 you have no right to lock your door okay so then there is the confederate flag so um this is this is really telling because i got the confederate flag at the next classroom so the door was locked Mm. so that that, you know now are your comrades your comrades right yeah so who put that on my desk yeah so now and so all I could do is sit there with it you know you you see a thing and the confederate flag you know they had us all the rebels and you know the civil war and so forth and so on and I don't know we're crossed the Mason Dixon line not that that matters it doesn't matter Racism is everywhere. So, and like I said to you before, it was safe in this place. And so that was on my desk. And so what that communicates to me as an African-American is that it means you are not welcome. So that was like my welcome mat. Get out. Get out. You're not welcome. We don't want you here. Wow. And then, 
you know, there were all kinds of things, exchanges with people. Uh, the looks I got, like I, I was telling you all, there was sexual harassment. I had a gentleman who, I think he was doing it to a whole lot of people, so it wasn't, it was normal. But for me, there was a power thing that was a part of it, and I think it is in all sexual harassment. But this, he would call me Sunshine. Here comes Sunshine. And I'd already been uh, educated by older men in my family or women in my family that that is a derogatory sexual mm-hmm. terminology. And you should never allow anybody to call you that. So you might think, well, sunshine is sunshine. Oh, here comes, you know, she's just bright and happy. And here comes somebody that, you know, is bringing something good. But not so. So language is important. Yeah. (laughs) And it doesn't mean, you know, translation of it is is interesting at best. Yep. And so it it what what means one thing in one culture may mean another somewhere, you know, and something right. different in another. But this was a thing he he did until I had to tell him my name is is at this time is Mrs. Price. Or June is sufficient. <laughs> or teacher. Or you know, we call each other by last names. You can call me Price. That's okay. Yeah. But sunshine is no longer. I'm not. No, I'm not responding to that. I'm not. I'm uncomfortable with you saying that. Stop saying that. And you know what was. He continued for years. He would ask me about a piece of jewelry I wore on my leg. I was young and I wore ankle chain. Yeah. (laughs) And. And I ceased to wear it at some point, and he was still asking me about it. Hmm. So he would show up and uh, exert his power or authority. Like he could say anything he wanted to me. He could stay in my room as long as he wanted to stay. He could, you know, engage me as uh, whether I wanted to be engaged or not. It was horrible. Yeah. And so one day, many years later, I got tired. I was... um, I had already said I was uncomfortable and I already told you to stop. I already asked you, you know, if you want to know about my ankle chain, ask my husband. Uh, uh, <laughs> you know, I already told yes. and, and he ignored all of that. Yeah. So I told the print, I told the superintendent who was in my room for, we were talking about something else. And I said, you know, I'm having a problem and I've been having a problem. And I know if I tell you the person's name that you may have to do something serious. And I'm not trying to get anybody to lose their job. I just want this to this harassment to stop. Yeah. And it stopped. Now, I didn't give a name. I didn't give a name. I didn't describe the details of the harassment. But he knew. But he knew. And a couple of years later, the gentleman tampered with the wrong child and did um, a thing, and he lost his job because of that. But it had nothing to do with me. But the harassment stopped after I made a veiled notification. Yeah. So 
I think therein lies a, a level of pain for me that there were people who knew and did nothing. They could see this and not see, they could see this Confederate flag and say, oh, they probably got that. One lady told me, oh, they probably got that at the Walmart. I said, they I don't know where they got it from. But I just know it was on my desk. It That's the <laughs> so, so, um, so th uh, there were things like that. There were insidious things on a regular. It's uh, an incident that I didn't include in the book. I had a, a student. He was like a 17-year-old freshman. Okay? 17, okay. Okay, so he has, he has been a problem in and out of the district, in and out of trouble. And they put him in my classroom and he, in this environment, thought he could implement his plan. So he sized me up, <laughs> I guess. And I didn't feed his hostility or tolerate his disrespect. And one day, you know, I don't write referral. I never wrote referrals often. But, you know, when they really warranted it and it was beyond me trying to um, discipline in a kind way. I had to say, okay, it's time for you to go because you're disrupting the class. So I did that one day and I said, oh, I'll write your referral. You just go down to the office and sit there and I'll send it. And he came up to my desk and he had written KKK on his hand. So he wanted, he was goading me. He wanted me to see that I saw it. I didn't say anything about it. And so on his way out the door, he held up his fist and said, white power. Mm -hmm. And there was, mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many times I heard things like that. Or there's that nigger teacher. I mean, I don't even say there's the black teacher. There's the African-American teacher. There's that. It's, it's like... Uh, the word, uh, the N-word was regular vocabulary. It was regular. Uh, it was horrible. And this is in, this, this is our millennium. Oh, yeah. We're like, we're, we're into the late 90s, early 2000s. Man. Still going on. And so for a period of time, I think I, my presence had cleaned some things up. You know, and the fact that I would challenge it if it if it showed up. But poison had gone through the community in reference to me. So there was a next generation that said, OK, she thinks she's all that. I'm going to show her, you know, when I get in her class, I'm going to tell her what I think. And so there was that going Just on this, this cycle of 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 whatever and then for me to get my experiences acknowledged was a was like climbing a mountain really with no grooves no <laughs> nothing to put my foot in just a to wall. just a smooth mountain that's what it was like climbing with no rope or nothing to yeah <laughs> nothing to help me come up uh, wow so and and so it's difficult when nobody else is experiencing it. So that's the, the, the discourse or that's 
the discussion that needs to happen around when you're the only one. There's nobody to confirm your reality. Everybody else has a different experience. And I suppose that the people who hired me never expected yeah. that I would experience. They thought, I'm, I'm, I, like I said last night, I believe that they really thought their experience would be like mine. Yeah. Because there was no thought of anything different. But my presence brought out the ugliness. My presence is like light. Uh, <laughs> You know, I pierced the darkness. Yeah. And it was upset with me. Yeah. I, it was mad at me. It wanted to do its own personal holocaust of me. It wanted to exterminate me. Yeah. And so my parent conferences, my exchanges, you could be in my class, Harry, and do absolutely nothing. You didn't do any work. You didn't read any assignments. You didn't... Mm, participate you just gave me a hard time on a regular and you just stood there and glared at me and stared at me and the f that you deserve <laughs> no pun intended right. yes. <laughs> okay yep is what you got yep you earned that one yeah but your mommy and your daddy and your grandmommy could come and visit me and sit at this table like this and have at me. Wow. Call me everything but a child of God. Tell me what I wasn't. I was the worst thing to come through the town. Trying to put me in a position to negotiate your F to a better grade. Man. And then if I tried to talk to other faculty, oh, well, we have dinner with them every Friday night. Because it's a community. Right. Small community. Oh, and small is, 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 is not like the city. People don't care. It's larger. <laughs> it's like, okay, <laughs> yeah. you go, you got, it's like, but in small cities, it's, it's it, whatever it is. It's why the program I was a part of that could have worked and could have been great for the students and everybody. And we could have blended it or whatever, however, to make it great. It would have made the district probably cutting edge in terms of technology and, and uh, innovation. Once the poison was out, it killed it. What's this? Okay, that's a noose. And that one, so interesting. You know, like I watched um, a movie not too long ago, The Birth of a Nation. Okay. And it really is a story of Nat Turner. And that, it was an interesting movie where he was a slave. And his white owner, female owner, or the wife of, uh, taught him how to read. Taught him to read the Bible. But he, she only taught him segments of the Bible. <laughs> the segments that <laughs> are about slaves uh, oh, obeying yeah. their masters. Right. But when you teach somebody to read, you teach somebody to read. Yeah. So uh, at some point, they found out he was a young preacher and other plantation holders wanted him to preach to their uh, slave population. Uh, 
so as to keep down a revolt. So they used him and his owner then would get money from these other plantation holders to have him lent out as this young preacher who would then go in and quarrel or whatever, uh, put down the revolts. And then, oh, Nat, read the rest of the story. It's <laughs> <laughs> always a problem. Oh, it's always a problem. So he read, the, he read the Bible, and he started to see that this, no, God had a larger picture. This was out of context. This was, so he started having a different sermon. And uh, none the wiser. They just thought he was whatever. Um, so it came to a point where they uh, he revolted and, and he had a um, group of people with him. And they uh, were going to siege a set, um, uh, fort that had guns and whatever. And a young black man told on him, a child. So, you know, you could have... I could have another black person in the environment and said that they could be brought up in that environment and have a different experience from me. Yes. And will be my worst witness. Because they say, oh, that's not, they were just joking. They were just playing. You know, can't you take a joke? Well, in the movie, this young man sitting there not even knowing what he had done, but went back to the master to say, this is coming. So when they got there, there were no weapons. Mm. And so a lot of loss of life. Right. But the punishment was that they hung them in the yard, all the men. So there were all these nooses hanging from trees so that it would be a message to everyone that this is um, not the way to go so uh, somebody understood that dynamic and placed one on my door another teacher found it told me about it said June I can't believe it happened I took it and I threw it away Hmm. Um, so I don't know what good that person did for me. Right. Because they didn't go and take it to the... They didn't put it in a spotlight. No. They put it in the trash. Yeah. So therefore the story went. Yes. And so that's an indicator that... And you know, if we would do assignments in class as teachers, I had a a fellow English teacher next to me, young teacher. <sighs> you know, you can meet different teachers. There's some teachers who are just picking up, pay, up a paycheck, and there's some teachers who are called to teach. Mm. And this one, I was privileged to have be next door to someone who was called to teach. And she she was aware of the poison that was in the environment. And she was trying to you know, give medicine to the sick (laughs) as much as she could. And she kept, she said, oh my goodness. She said, she said, June, look at this. 
she would show me part of my document. Some of my documentation is came out of her classroom um, wow. where they she just did a advertisement, um, an advertisement assignment where they were writing advertisements and somebody wrote um, a candy bar, like a ghetto bar. Um, and it was um, the description mm. was like uh, Hershey bars and mashed potatoes and this whole hurling of what they think black culture or, or food is about. I don't know. Right, right. Uh, and mixed up together. Da, da. And it's most offensive. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's the least you could say about it. Right. Right. Um, but that's that that was the regular. And then if you don't have teachers who are equipped and most are not to address that, to make it a point, put it up on the board, let's see what's wrong with this. Let's see what's um uh why this is unacceptable. Um Really, they just uh, grade it and keep it quiet. Right. Stuff it. Put the noose in the garbage can. Yep. Um, and 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 they don't know what to do with it. They see it, know it needs to be addressed. Something needs to happen. Yeah. So I had a, a so y- you can imagine the. This is regular. You know, the biggest, the largest insult though. Was going to the administration and saying. I have a problem with this student or that student. And instead of them taking my word for it, they would investigate. So they would go get another student that was present during the incident and get their opinion. And their opinion meant more than my opinion. And, and the blessing in that is that there were students who said Mrs. Price is right, but 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 what do I feel when when the administration goes to a child to get confirmation, if you will, about the words that I speak? So I can't tell you how many times I had to experience that. Or well, we can't do anything. This um, the the superintendent likes this parent or. Or we, you know, we go to the golf course together. I get, like, what does that have to do with what I'm experiencing? And then the other thing, in that special program, I wasn't allowed to make any changes. I wasn't allowed to make any any changes. I wasn't, I couldn't be innovative. I couldn't have, say, for instance, we're studying Shakespeare. Okay. I couldn't change the grid. If it wasn't already on the map, I had to just follow the map. If I did anything contrary to that, then I was in violation. So, oh my goodness. (laughs) Um, So you think about, you know, when I went to, got an opportunity to go to South Africa and in in South Africa, we went to the uh, apartheid museum, yep. and 
at the entrance of the museum, you get to choose which way you want to go. You get to choose whether you want to go on the white side or you want to go oh, man. on the black side. And so I thought I understood what the black side would be like. So I wanted to see what the other side looked like. So I went on the white side. So I'm walking through. And uh, at some point, there is a plan. A man, man is standing and there's a big plaque. Two men are standing on each side of the plaque. And the plaque has a plan for Soweto. And we joke about that, not joke about it. We, we talk about like in the late 1960s that such a plan was in place to get African-Americans under control. Mm. Like this noose, like the hanging of nooses in a place. It's, well, we need to get you under control. And I couldn't believe it because there it was etched in granite. You know, they had these little pews that you could sit down on periodically and just think about what you're seeing. (laughs) And I'm sitting there. And then across this board is the laws that were being made daily. So if we went for ice cream, you and I, I don't know why I like ice cream. I just talk (laughs) about ice cream. (laughs) But, but, you know, you and I, you're a white man. I'm a black woman. And uh, they didn't like that. The next day, there would be a law against it. So any movement that wouldn't mean, you're talking about micromanagement, any movement that uh, would allude to some freedom, they made a law against it. Mm. And so I believe that the same thing happened in both countries. Just we we weren't privy to to the plan. To the plan. That was a written down. Man. And so you get at a certain point and you walk into a room and there are nothing but nooses. I mean, I'm just talking about this noose just and what hanging. it could possibly just hanging and you walk through the room and that's all that's in the room. There's nothing else in the room. Nooses hanging from the ceiling. And you think 1994? The year before I started in this school district is when apartheid, you know. um, But but it doesn't exist anymore. Right. But it doesn't exist anymore. (laughs) And and the crop, you know, and, and what's so beautiful or so not beautiful is that you have farmers who understand sowing and reaping. Mm. Okay, yep. so you plant all of this madness in the ground and 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 there's not a crop. This is why. And <sighs> there's not a continued thing that is coming up to strangle or, uh, you know, in the area of race. Oh, my goodness. So here we have I'm watching the, the young men in the end of my employment that harassed me on a regular basis. Number one, it was almost, almost all of the freshman male class. When we found out, because I didn't know any of them, I didn't have freshmen. So I didn't know any of them, okay? So 
I had to start taking pictures, which was against the law. <laughs> but I didn't know their names. I was like, okay, who is this? 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 Who is this one? Who is that one? Who is this one? This one is coming past the room saying this. Okay, you have cameras up here. Look at the camera. You could just look at, just view the camera. Yeah. They didn't want to do that. Mm. Because because proof is in the pudding. So if I I'll ha- if I watch that, I'll know. Yep. Did it a couple of times, but had to stop that. Because these are good boys. Oh, my goodness. So, and I had to get rid of my picture taking. Because <laughs> yes. you can't identify. Right. So I can't identify the, but I can tell you that most of, and because, because uh, mob mentality is what it is, that mm-hmm. if one does it, then another does it, and peer pressure is real, and so everybody does it. I told one student one day, I said, don't you think I have a right to live in a world like you? without this kind of harassment? I just asked a question. And I think I got through. Yeah. He did, he no longer was in the gang of boys. But, you know, that needed to be not just me, I mean. And so there are people who tried to reach out during that time. They could have stopped it at any time. Wow. They, uh, that's the, the uh, toward the end, it was like they had given up on it. We're going to get rid of you, June, so we can get rid of our problem. So if you stay, we're going to have to address it. But if we can get you out, then we'll never let another black person <laughs> in here and our problem will be solved. And so that's what they targeted me. Then it became, okay, how can we get rid of June? And uh, so they planned just like in just like in South Africa they planned my demise they micromanaged me what do you mean that then everything I did was suspect okay and all you have to do is put out one rumor that's one lie people believe a lie so all you just put out one and then it, the rumor mill will take care of itself. <laughs> It'll generate. So yeah, in small and, and, and yeah. small districts and small towns and in school building. So you have that, and so you you start a professional hit. So first we gotta we gotta we have to discredit you. So now I've been teaching. What, 10 years, and I've been the department head, and, and there hasn't ever been a problem. But now, uh, automatically, I'm a problem. Okay, so let's see how we can set this up. And you think, oh, she's made that up. Oh, yeah, yeah. I wish I could. Yeah. And it happens. This is what's so wild, Harry. I think. I have seen it with other teachers, and I didn't know what I was looking at. Mm. So in other districts, when they got to a point where they wanted to get rid of a teacher, for whatever reason, it didn't have to be legitimate. What they do is a verbal assassination first of discrediting you, of doing it among your peers, of just saying the right things enough times, okay? Yep. And then people begin to believe it. The problem with me, though, 
I was already in prison. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't have uh, stuff they could dig up. So I had to make stuff up. So I was, cause I, I showed up on time. I stood at my door, you know, I didn't, I, I wasn't writing referrals all the time. I was handling my business in the classroom. Okay. I showed up and I did my job. So what can we do? We have to do something, right? So what they did is they, one year, we were, we got in financial trouble at the, at the school. It had nothing to do with me, but it was a problem. And our principal, I don't think he was struggling. He was principal. For whatever reason, they thought he needed some help. So they brought in the assistant, the, the principal of the junior high, to help him with his duties. Okay. I call her the fake principal because <laughs> she had no reason to be in the building. We had a principal. Okay. And so they moved people around so she could come into the high school. And she became my nemesis. So they, she was the feist dog that nobody saw. So, so she's nipping at my heels every day so that when you actually see me respond in force at some point, no, like what is going on? June just lost it. Yeah. Right, right, right. I never, I never did that though. So she, she pricked, but I never had this uh, outlandish, Blow thing, yeah. yeah. I did say to the principal one day, not her, uh, the real principal, I said, you know what, I understand why people end up with, in a tower. With, with a, I, and I shouldn't have said that. That was, pro that was probably threatening. Yeah. I mean, you can't say that today. And I, I didn't know I couldn't say it then. Right, right. But I was simply saying, you won't do anything. I understand how people get where they get. And uh, so the police called me and asked me, was I planning to bring a gun to school? I said, no, I'm not. I don't, yeah. even, I don't even own a gun. Right. Uh, <laughs> so and he and he, the officer even laughed. He said, OK, Mrs. Price. He said, I just needed to check. But they were building a case against me. So anything I said, anything that was not perfect was written down. So she started calling me in and out of meetings making up stuff that students said or whatever, you know. Wow. So every day I would get an envelope from her. And Nobody saw that. They had moved me from a regular classroom, big classroom, to what the kids call the closet. Hmm. So a fourth of the size. So I'm in this little tight space. The office is bigger than my classroom. Now, my kids are uncomfortable, so they're going to end that quick because you can't have them uncomfortable. But for June, we're gonna, the, just for this time, we're going to show her who sh who, who's in charge. So, <laughs> so I get an envelope every day, and I'm called in and out of meetings because that's how they wear you out. No real reason for it. This, that, or another. She gets to implement a program where she has things that we need to do as teachers. But I find out that nobody has to do them but me. 
So you, so what you do, you know, when you want to do this, you put it in place for everybody and you do it in open form, but, uh, me, but behind the scenes, nobody has to follow through, but you, wow. and then she, um, she manages to be my, the person that does my evaluations. How, how did she Im immediately get over the charge of doing that? But she did. And uh, she said, well, you know, uh, we're splitting up the responsibilities. I'm going to evaluate the English department and the science department. And Mr. The, the principal was going to handle, you know, math and, you know, whatever, social studies. And so she now is evaluating me. So she writes this crazy evaluation of stuff I never did. And so, of course, I refuted. So we have to go back through that. And so what they need to do, Harry, is they need to get an extra evaluation in by a particular date so they can fire me. Hmm. And I could have not. I could have just stayed home sick and blew their plan straight out of the water. But I had to go through the whole process. Mm -hmm. And so because that was discrimination, she was setting up separate systems. Yep. And that's, you know, I never really understood discrimination before I worked at this place. And that, you know, can't just say um, they're mistreating me because I'm African-American. They have to do something different than my counterparts are receiving. So this was... Her, it's so different because the the action she's planning or using, because they would use her as her, their bulldog. That's what I, call, I used to call her, but anyhow. <laughs> uh, and she did it to other people. I saw her um, go after other other people during the course of the twelve years. They would. Th she was like their uh, secret weapon. Okay. And so. The beauty of it is that by doing it, she proved discrimination. What I couldn't prove all 12 years, what I couldn't get anybody to acknowledge, it was occurring, her actions alone. Was the proof. Wow. And so a year after I left out of the classroom, a year after I left out of the classroom, I was still fighting. I was going in and out of arbitrations yeah. because I had taken issue with it all and I had the principal who had been fired who had moved on or whatever you just move on you know your problem you just, just they just move you on give you a job somewhere else because you can get a job somewhere else I don't care how rotten you are <laughs> you know uh, they'll just move you along give you another you'll be principal somewhere else you are none but a coach over here, but you're going to be principal over there. But anyhow, that's, that's, just, that's just white privilege. Yes. Um, and nobody's admitting that either. But um, so uh, the principal came back to the arbitration. We didn't even think he would show up. And he said on recorded before in a court, a court setting because they were taking down the testimony. He said, she said that she was supposed to handle June. And I believe that statement was enough.
Yeah. And so after that, then they we began the discussion of settlement. Hmm. She was supposed to handle me. And she, you know what? She even after that, she showed up at my door. She came to my home. What? You're talking about violation. If I was just can I just say this to you? If I was just somebody that, you know, I had every right to to bring out the shotgun and just cock it just to let her know she needs to get off my property. Watch out. <laughs> yeah. But no, she shows up to give me my my notices to come back into yet another hostile meeting. Oh. So um, she brings the assistant principal that's in the junior high. They're both out there. And they knock on my door. And my kids are getting, I talk about it, they, they're getting ready for school. And I tell them not to open the door. They'll have to leave it in the mailbox. They don't have to mail it or whatever or however they want to do it, but I'm not opening the door. And um, horrible. Now, I had all kinds of friends that, oh, I wish I had been there. <laughs> uh, but that wasn't to be. So, I don't know. When I'm reading through your book, mm-hmm. it becomes really clear that faith, mm-hmm. like, you're not here today without that. Oh, my goodness. Right? Right. I couldn't have made it. And the subtitle to the book is, and they thought I was alone. Mm. And that, that's the reality I wasn't, that I, I have a Savior and there are songs that I have a wonderful Savior uh, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I can ask or think. And he is my front and my rear guard. And I, I tell you, when it got really bad, I would recite Psalms 24 going in the building. That's the only way I could get out of the car. Because in the end, I was parking out front for my safety. I was uh, in a visitor's parking spot a spot so that's really that's really <laughs> telling because um, I really I was just a visitor there yeah and I would have to walk in the front doors I would have to say lift up your heads all you gates and be lifted up ye everlasting doors and the king of glory shall come in who is this king of glory the Lord strong and mighty lift up your heads June lift your head up and walk in the doors, and the king of glory, shell. I lived on the shell in that scripture. That's the, only reason I, that's the only reason I survived. I couldn't have done that on my own. I have a central nervous system. I couldn't have taken it. He had to have kept me. And so I wasn't ever alone. And, I, you know, I think about as a Christian, I could hear sometimes, oh, she's in there praying. Uh, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I was in my classroom praying. Um, and, <laughs> and you know, if touching the desk, asking God to bless my students and cover them and cover me and cover the whole district and, you know, let your Shekinah glory rest on the rooftops, God, because I need your presence. Uh, all of those things were necessary. So in the book, I, I give the actual scripture that helped me get through. I I honestly, you know, from you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to make many alive. Uh, All kinds of, you know, no weapon formed against me 
shall be able to prosper and all mouths shall be condemned. You shall condemn, saith the Lord, for this is the inheritance of them that love him. You know, you know, uh, it's faith is everything. God is everything. I don't, you know, and I think I, um, at some one year, I, I started publishing the name of Jesus, and I think that's what really got me into trouble. <laughs> I mean, you know, I had gone so far up under the radar. Nobody knew I was there. I just came and went, came and went. And I started speaking at the holy place, or somebody invited me to a conference out in uh, Northwest College, and I spoke out there. I did a diversity class out there. Uh, did some different things. I went to Delta and did a diversity class at one. I know it's just crazy that I would, those things actually happen. And then during the year that we had this financial trouble and there was threat of not getting our, our paychecks and all kinds of things, teachers wanted to pray and that God sent them to me. I'm like, y'all, y'all, now y'all want to pray. <laughs> no, but no, I didn't, I didn't have that attitude. I'm just, I'm joking. Right, right. And, but it was beautiful to be able to do that. And then the heat got turned up. It's like, okay, now we really got to get rid of you because you're making a difference. Okay. And so uh, I think that's when the heat got turned up and I actually had the worst years there. So there were some, you know, was there ever a normal year? Maybe there were years with little that went on, but. Uh, among the 12, but the last time I reported to the EEOC, I had 235 incidents. Whoa. Right. In my employ over the 12 years. Whoa. And so, um, uh, remarkable. I don't know how I made it. I, I mean, other than God, there's no explanation. You can't even like, how did you do that? Because he had to keep me. He kept my mind intact. He kept my emotions level. He gave me peace. I didn't, I never cursed anybody out. I never, I never mistreated anybody. I just came to work and did my job and left, you know, and at the end I was fighting for my life. I mean, there's times when Eric had to come to the, to the school and stand in front of my door to protect me as his wife. Mm. So you look wow. at that, it's like, where was the administrator? They weren't, they weren't present, and if they were, they turned their backs. Even at the end when the lawyers were talking, you know, because I filed in federal court in 2006 on the discrimination charge. And at the end, after the settlement, because they settled me a year to the date I left the classroom. That never happens. And Eric, this is years before people get that. They people ask me, well, how much money? Everything got disclosed so I could talk about it. So it was in the newspaper. So they couldn't put a gag order on it. Yeah. So and it's all in the records. It's all in the records. I don't have this is a real and a true story. We can go to the the school district right now and open the archives. There it is. And there it is. So all ha- all people have to do is choose to look. Yeah. And then more than that, choose to do, to right. act. So, I mean, just out of humanity alone, I mean, there are people who left because they couldn't take it. They tried to help and they got uh, mistreated. 
It's like, who do you think you are to come along and verify this story? You know, we had her where we needed her to be, not being able to prove it. And if you come along with your new sight or your insight or your enlightenment and you say, well, I can see this. This thing, you know, this 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 guy in the hallway said this to June. That shouldn't be happening. I saw the boys gathering outside her classroom. They shouldn't be doing that. That's not okay. What do you mean that you have to get confirmation from a student when an adult teacher that you hired? <laughs> any of those things. Right. And, and did I have people that would stand up with me? There are people who would go in those meetings with me. And they would write down the details. And it became part of my record, part of my uh, documentation. So I had, I, it's not that I didn't have friends. There are people who closed their eyes and never responded. Those are people, there are people who stood up in their ignorance and said, June is, is this is, you know, <laughs> this is not happening. So it's not, it's, you have both in the same environment. So you have people who support you and people who make up lies. I had um, a fellow English teacher say to my um, student teacher, some horrible things. Okay. And I was like, you talk to me every day. I had a custodian who, and I describe a snow incident. Now I thought this Harry, this is real. It was really sad. Cause I thought he was my friend the whole time. We would talk cause I kept a pretty clean room. So he didn't have to do a lot of work <laughs> other than, you know, the empty the trash. So, we, you know, as I'm gathering my stuff to go home every day, I see him. I've talked to him, say hi to him in the hallway because I, I I'm no respecter of person like my God. So, you know, you you're the custodian, the head custodian. I don't care. You're, you're another human being. Hello. How you doing? You know, thank you for what you do in my classroom. So all these years. So we get to the end of the 12 and he comes to my door and he says, he says, I wonder what they're going to think about uh, the snow behind their cars. Says some crazy thing to me or asked me some question like that at the door. And it was a snow day. So they were sending us home early because it was, you know, it was getting bad outside. And so I go outside to the parking lot. The snow is behind my car. So I, I'm like, I turn around like a little puppy outside looking at the yeah. other cars and nobody has what I have. So he was talking to me about me. Because at that point, the atmosphere was so polluted that anybody it was open. It was open season. Well, we know we're getting rid of her. You can do what you want to. You can say what you want to. You can do. It doesn't matter because nothing is going to come to her rescue. They forgot I had a God. Um. And, but this is the beauty. He bragged about it to the other custodians. We had two Latino brothers. They were my brothers, literally, because they understood that they were getting the same thing. They were like, oh, you know, the Mexicans can clean that up. You know, what? so they were, no. yeah. So those were the statements they were receiving it. Oh yeah, well, just leave that there. They can get that.
So they came to me and they, and it was, it was a big deal because culturally you don't do, you know, we got to have almost like a family meeting before we, we come forward and make a decision like that. And they came to me and told me and told me that he bragged. And I was like, Oh my God. And so even as I came back into the building after the snow incident, went into the office, I couldn't leave. Cause it, I mean, when I say a mound of snow, I'm not talking about something I can move out the way myself. I learned, um, I, I had some support. I mean, cause they came and they told me, um, yeah, that he bragged about it. <laughs> and so, um, in days to come, they they put they put really their employment online for me. So for that, I'm eternally grateful. So how are how are you? Just not extremely angry right now. I think in the healing process, I think if you had talked to me a couple of years, uh, the year after the year couple of years after uh, the anger was just sitting there okay it was sitting there and it didn't have a place to go there was nobody reconciling me (laughs) there was nobody saying nobody uh nobody said they were sorry nobody said um sorry that you had to go through that no participators in it even acknowledged even the bystanders didn't. So after I, after I was gone, it was like it ended. They did this thing, and for all express purposes, they got away with it. That just uh, compounds the anger. Um, you know, like people say, well, you know, they should have given you more money and all that kind of stuff. I got as much money as I could if I had gone all the way through trial. Yeah. Because even that's unfair. Because there are limitations on racial discrimination in the law. So you can only get so much. The precedent, you can only get a certain amount. And the amount is $300,000. Can't get more than that. And so God gave me that. Now, I had attorneys. I'm not going to talk about the attorneys. We'll leave that Okay. (laughs) I mean, because, you know, people ask me, you know, was the union any help? Was the... EOC any help I wish I could say oh yeah they helped me big time but they they had limitations you know looking back I don't I don't hold any ill will against them they were doing the best they could the one the the teacher unions are teachers that work in the district so they're subjected to the same administrators so they have to have this balance thing okay is this worth my job so whenever you're getting ready to help children, and one of my mentors told me this at the beginning of my teaching career. She said, June, let me tell you something. If you're ever really going to help somebody, get ready to lose your job. So the fact that I wanted to do, I really did. I saw an entire generation grow up. So these young men that harassed me at my door, when I started in when I started at this school district, they were in the kindergarten. So if something had happened for them in the discourse, this would have never occurred. That's that's the that's the the sad thing. That, you know, you you know, people like, you know, well, how could you say that 
this is sad. You know, white people are white, you know, whatever. Uh, I saw, no, they, they need, uh, they're dying from the aloneness too. I mean, they're missing the beauty of the wealth of exchange. And so if, if some education if some, if some righteous indignation <laughs> had happened for them along the way, I think things would have turned out differently. And so the more I tried to say, let's change things, the more I was shut down. So on the way to reconciling the environment, to say, okay, we can put this in, we can do this, we can do that. Uh, no, we don't want to expend that much energy. We're not going to give that much money. The powers have already spoken here. They don't want this. This environment does not want those pieces in it. They don't fit. So since you're still going to press this, then what we'll just do is remove you. So that we don't have we the, don't the problem it. that the, the guy told me, he said, we don't have a problem here. He said, we will no longer have a problem here. Mm-hmm. So that's the summation, I think. Oh, my goodness. Um, so you're in the conversation we had last night. You're sensing something of a call to do race and reconciliation work. Yeah, and I, I wish it were more than just sensing it. <laughs> <laughs> or like, you know, people choose things to do. Yeah. Um, I would not have chosen the environment I was in that I got my education out of. And I definitely wouldn't have chosen this as a call. You know, like people choose ministry as a vocation. And I don't think they have, they have any understanding of the depth of the work or the intensity of it. It is a call and I have answered and I have agreed with God to do this thing. Even as I say that to you, Harry, I don't know all the nuances. I don't know all the pieces, parts. I am as open and raw and ready and uh, teachable as anybody. I depend on God to download on a regular the grace I'm going to need, the words, the diplomacy, the um, um, the anointing to step into places where the breach is glaring mm. and and try to speak to people's pains on both sides or all sides or. Because, uh, you know, that's the thing in my travels. I've gone to places and heard their narratives. Some of the narratives of the people of different places. Everybody just wants their story told. Yeah. They need it to be have to. confirmed. That this is a reality and it doesn't negate what's going on with you. Me telling my story doesn't doesn't say that your story is not valid. It just says, this is my story. And to help people tell their narratives with abandonment, with, with no hindrances, with no hold back, with no, let me size up the audience. This is what it is. I wish that I hadn't gone through any of that. 
I, surely I wouldn't have planned that. Okay. And, and like, why did you stay, you know, and I can't explain, you know, when you follow Christ, what that really means. When you say yes, the road to the cross is what the road to the cross is. It wasn't that he could at any moment in the garden of Gethsemane, he struggled with it. He struggled with it. You know, he, I mean, social justice, I'm sure is, is his middle name, right? <laughs> right. Uh, Um, (laughs) you know, when among people, cross cultures showed us the way to do that and, and and to do it in love. And, and so I couldn't hate, even though the enemy of my soul was happy with my anger, but it was killing me. I mean, I had two bouts of cancer after that. You can't tell me that it's not tied to the stress I went through for 12 years. I'm not saying that it caused it, but it did not help it. Um, or anything else that has happened, you know, since then, because you think people, well, this is enough. Well, you know, I had a little bit more, but God is so partnership with him is everything. And so he knows what he's doing and he just doesn't want a family. He wants a big, happy family. Oh man. So you know, where are the people who are going to help me give God his, his due or his desire? I don't know where they are. They're hiding from me. <laughs> and I don't sense that I can exit from the call. So I don't know what that means going forward. Yeah. I wrote a book and it'll go to wherever God wants it to. He'll breathe on it. And if he wants it to go international, it'll go into hands everywhere. And somebody may see my humanity through it all and say, you know, what can we do to help bring together a big, happy family? I mean, what does it take when you have a difficulty with your own brother? What does it take to mend that? You know, my sisters are not my sisters. You know, God had to give me some more sisters. (laughs) What does it take to mend those uh, those fences or to get to the the core of it or the root of the problem? What's at the core of this thing? Here, can you tell me what's at? I mean, why do you hate me? You don't even know me, but you hate me. You know, you haven't even read my book, but you want to tell me that you didn't you, go through that. Those weren't real experiences. No, no. The Holocaust didn't really happen. <laughs> you know, <sighs> the tattoos on their arms, they just did that because they liked how it looked. Why? And, I, you know, like I look at our president and he just makes the environment more polarized. I w- he's just a polarizing dude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wish he wasn't, but he is. And he makes the way he looks at things or talks about things makes it easy for people to just stay where they are. Yeah. And be, I don't want to say crazy, but just be anti everything, you know? And I don't know. I don't know how we work through that. I know God has a plan. So he's there. I think to pull the covers of off of it all. Yeah. Because it was hidden. We didn't think it was there, right? You didn't think it was there. Yeah. <laughs> right. So now it's it's evident that there's a big problem. Yeah. 
if Putin can say, you know, <laughs> can bring up uh, Fenton, Missouri, and say, you know, uh, before you tell me what to do in Russia, you might want to contend with what's going on in the United States. This is our deal. We've, <laughs> we've got so much to handle. Right. And to act like it's not there or to say what that or to say you don't want to be a part of healing. Yeah. You don't want to be healed. Nothing's wrong with me. Um, okay. We, I don't, I don't yeah. know where, I don't know. I don't know. I just look at it and I was like, everybody has a spool of influence. And if you could just speak to your own world and say, you know what? There's things we can do. There are things we cannot tolerate. Uh, the things we can uh, uh, speak life in. Hmm. There are places we can go and say, the press is stop here. That's not okay. I can't participate in it. I can't go no any further with you. We go, we have, we're at an impasse because what you're talking about, number one, if you're a Christian, is not Bible. This is not what our Savior died for. And he certainly didn't die for us to be at odds in, in the house. And we are. And I think that's the biggest thing. It's like when I traveled, I didn't have any problem when I went to China with people from who, who are of the Han descent. I didn't have any problems in South Africa. Okay. I didn't have any problems in Korea and in Japan and even in Israel. I didn't have any pro I had problems with the people that were on the trip with me. <laughs> I bought the ugly American with me. Yeah. That's where that's therein lies. My problem is among the people that I live in the same country with. And so how do we fix that? I'm not saying that, that I hate you. I don't hate you. I want to have a healing conversation with you. And I realize that there's so many layers to this, that that conversation has to continue. It can't, it can't die. It can't stagnate. It has to continue. It has, we have to do things to become part of each other's lives. We can't, you can't, yes, you can come over my house. <laughs> Sit with me in the backyard. Sit with me at my dining room table and it may have stuff on it. <laughs> uh, so what? You know, yeah, yeah. talk with me. I'll make you a cup of tea. And we can exchange on a real, you know, it's more than just humanity. You know, I guess I can get to your being human and me being human. You know, if we have an exchange in the body of Christ. But this other junk. Yeah. How do we rid ourselves of it? How do I keep working on myself so I don't hate or I don't return to really thinking about what they did to me, what they allowed didn't help me in or all of that stuff. I, I can't do that. It's it, what's killing me. I can't do that. So I'm, I'm in a place and I'm in a good place. I'm, I feel good in my own skin. I understand who I am. I know who God is. And I even know who you are and want to know more about you. And I want us to do to please our God together. So we get to Revelation 7, 9, 9 and, you know, all tongues and tribes and, you know, 
and we're praising God together. That's what the body of Christ should be working on. I remember speaking at the holy place and I said, and nobody understood me. I said, (laughs) I was standing there and I like, nobody got that. But the Holy Spirit through me said that the gown is filthy. Mm. It's dirty. And it's dirty with this kind of stuff. And it needs to be cleaned. Yeah. As he returns. Without spot or wrinkle, right? Without spot or wrinkle. Oh, my goodness. So I feel like I now have about 80 more questions for you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But we're going to not do that. So uh, we might have to do a round two at some point. We might. No Um, problem. Where is there any place people can follow you, participate in your work? Obviously, you have a book out. The website's not up yet. Right. Uh, it will be. Um, I'll notify y'all about that when I have uh, an email address. You can always write me. Awesome. What's it is June Price PMI at gmail dot com. So it's not case specific. Okay. No dots. So if you're somebody who wants to have conversations about race and reconciliation, get to know June more. They're free to. Yeah, they're they're free to contact me for speaking engagements or if they just want to do a round table and have a discussion. Um, Any reconcilers out there that really want support in doing this work, I would love to come together with you um, and share and live this thing out. Walk it out. Uh, Yeah. On the next, this coming Monday, which is the 20th, you will be at <laughs> Beer and Bible Night. Yes. Um, Looking forward to it. Yeah. So if you, if any of you want to come meet June, hear more of her story, um, there's stuff on Facebook on that. So. Okay. Uh, thank you so much. You, I. Thank you, Harry. <laughs> I am. Uh, so I want to just say stuff. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I am so sorry that you went through that. That was my hometown. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, you know, and the beauty of it is that, you know, life isn't over yet. Yes. There, there change can still change. Change isn't change until you change. And so, <laughs> you know, there are things that can still happen yes. there um, yes. and other places like it. Yeah. But it requires people from the inside yes. to wake up. And um, then to want to do more than talk um, and to engage people on a regular. I think that even reconciliation requires more. It's a regular thing. It's not a one. Right. It's it, you know what it, it's I liken it to this. Like when God says pray without ceasing. He really is saying continue to talk to me. And I think the same thing He has given us the ministry of reconciliation because he's allowed us to go through whatever we've gone through and he doesn't waste anything. So I don't ever look at my past as it's some horrible thing that happened to me. No, it in the economy of God, it will all be used. Okay, and so it's part of my ability to be a reconciler. I have areas in which he has given me expertise. And so and you. And you and you and you and you. And so we can come together and kind of reconcile one another uh, in those areas. And then we become worth our salt. (laughs) You know, we become 
uh, what we were put in the earth to do. And the purpose becomes evident. So I look forward to whatever God has, whatever open doors. Uh, This is supposed to be the year of the open door. Praise God. Open the door and I'm going to walk in. I'm not going to hesitate. I'm not going to turn away. I'm not going to be intimidated by your negative comment or your per- perverted yeah. perspective. No. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm not, no, I mean, I know I'm going to run into the, I mean, that's what the training was about. I had to endure this and this so I could take some stuff. Uh. Not that I want more of that people. No, I don't. I don't. But uh, I I'm surely won't be jaded by it. I know it's out there. Yeah. And, and I just want to meet the beautiful people too. Right. Well, I, so. <laughs> so you beautiful people, come and meet me, please. Yes, yes. And thank you just for sharing. You. Yeah. You are such a strong, beautiful, courageous. Thank you. Thank you. Smart person. <laughs> and uh, thank you for sharing your story. Oh yeah. And, uh, and as far as the body of Christ is concerned, somebody join me in prayer for this. Don't act like it's not. It's not worth your time. Talk to God uh, unceasingly about it so that we can give him what he wants. A big, happy family. family. Uh, Book is My June's Cottage. She's going to make, it'd be better to get it off the website. It is available on Amazon. Also, if you want to get a hold of me, and um, I can arrange getting the book to you and getting the the money to her. So uh, thanks for listening. Hit that share button.